As the world's largest network of remote professionals, we're here to help. Upwork is giving $1 million in talent grants to projects that counter the ongoing impacts of COVID-19. By connecting existing teams with independent experts in tech, creative, and operations to help save lives, to support communities, and rebuild the economy. Go to upwork.com slash work together to learn more. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money behind our beautiful game. Um, although after last week's Kieran uh, question special, that, that UEFA, that's done me that, the fact that I genuinely thought that those clubs, those countries were getting games in the UEFA's because they deserved it. But no, it's because they're paying for it. Yep. And, and we're paying for it as fans on top of that. People are laughing at me in the street for being so naive and romantic. Uh, <laughs> me being Kevin Day, of course, the host of this podcast, and uh, the one who's just put me straight again is Kieran Maguire, who's a lecturer in football finance at Liverpool University. That's correct. You don't like me saying professor because it's not strictly speaking legally <laughs> true. Is it? It's not true at yeah. all. But yet you don't mind me calling you the Baron. It's yeah. strange, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody did ask me the other day, with a, and this is true, somebody came up to me and said, is it short for Porn Baron? I went, no, it isn't, despite the Blackpool nightclub stories. and oh, That's an interesting... <laughs> anyway, coming up um, today's pod, it's a, it's a Thursday, so it's one of our, you know, we take a look at the big issues. West Ham, somehow one of the 20 richest clubs in Europe, but for how long? The fourth oldest club in the world are in trouble. The finances are being eco-friendly. And a very unusual season ticket offer. Now, Kieran, let's start with West Ham, who probably, in one way or other, get mentioned every time we do this pod, normally in relation to the ground. How on earth are they one of the 20th, 20 richest clubs in Europe? Well, football clubs get their money from three sources. Um, they get it from match day. So they have got 57,000 people turning up. Um, they're making a bit more money than they were at bowling ground. Not a huge amount, as, as I think we've previously discussed. They are getting more money from their sponsors because they can now say to the sponsors, especially the front of shirt guys, your products are now being advertised once a fortnight at the London Stadium. So you've got the, the Olympics cachet to add on to that. Um, and uh, in, in 2019, they had a, they had a half-decent season. Mm. So what happens is the higher up the Premier League you finish, the more money you get. And it works out as around about £2 million per position. So I think last year they were 10th, 11th, mm. you know, in that bunch of clubs. And also, every time you appear on television more than 10 times a year uh, in the Premier League, you get an extra £1 million. Well, there's lots of London derbies. So West Ham, you link that with a London stadium, they actually get probably you know, a decent number of fixtures appearing. So on the on the back of that, they ended up as the, the 18th richest club in the world. In the world? According to the Deloitte report. In the world? In the world. But commercially, they must have taken a hit, though, because it's not their ground 13 days out of 14, is it? Uh, it isn't, but uh, I think the... The commercial income that they've managed to generate is that they've got a, they've got a good deal with Betway. Uh, I think they've paid you know fairly much top dollar to to get their products associated on the West Ham shirt, and also the the other perimeter advertisers they pay premiums as well because 
people like being associated with that stadium if you if you're a commercial person as a fan you don't like going there because it's it's soulless well you took the the words out of my mouth because yeah west ham fans are unhappy with the stadium but financially it's a success then in in terms of generating income it is a success and it isn't because if you go back to where where west ham were a, a decade ago and you put them alongside spurs both of them have come mm. from uh pretty much working class areas in London, 35,000 capacity stadia, and they've taken different routes. So Spurs now own the new White Hart Lane Stadium. They are generating income from that Mm. 365 days a year. If Spurs want to uh, sell that to the NFL for, for three or four matches a year, Spurs are raking in huge amounts of money. Spurs are also using it for conferencing. Spurs are using it for catering events. You can get married at Spurs and you get the money. West Ham have effectively said, by taking the approach that they have done, we're happy with what we are getting, but they're going to be far, far behind Spurs, where a decade ago you would have said that those clubs were pretty close. Well, the $64 billion question then is what happens if West Ham get relegated? If they get relegated, um, they're going to lose around about £60 million immediately from TV money. They will get parachute payments for three years. Um, what you will find is that they will be relegation clauses from the sponsors because they're not hosting Spurs, they're not hosting Chelsea, Liverpool, United. Um, so expect that to be uh, a fairly significant hit as well. I think we could be talking another £10 million. In terms of prices... There are many bad things said about the Spurs owners, about the West Ham owners, but the prices at watching uh, at West Ham season ticket prices are are reasonable. Um, they well, would they've got a lot of seats to sell. That's why they have. They? That's but, the thing. But they've got. If you think that uh, they've got over fifty two thousand season ticket holders, mm, which is oh, okay. for a sixty thousand capacity. Yeah. So yeah, Fair if you point. if you say well three thousand are going to the away fans, they're only selling a few tickets each match to, to match day holders. Okay. So I, certainly they won't be able to increase prices. Um, I, I think for for one season at least, everybody who's an away fan in the Championship will be wanting to go to the London Stadium to tick it off the list. So I think they'll be fine. If they end up there for longer, parachute payments fall further. So I, I think they will be in a bit of a tricky situation. They owe they owe forty five million to Golden Sullivan. They own they owe ten million pounds to some mysterious investors in the US who can't quite work them out. What does concern me, they've also sold part of their uh, next set of TV rights. They've borrowed against that. Oh, okay. So that that will effectively switch over to parachute payments. So the parachute payments, which in theory are going to be what you're going to be using to pay off players' contracts and wages next season, actually would need to be repaid to a lender. That's it. I like the fact that you, if it's a mystery to you, it's going to be a mystery to anybody, the mysterious American investor. Two things. They are probably three of the most high-profile club owners in the Premier League, if not the country. Are they equal investors, Sullivan, Gold and Brady? Because Karen Brady used to be an employee, I'm fairly sure. But are, is she actually an investor in the club now? Is she? No, no, she isn't. The, She's the, not. Okay, interesting. The, right. the, the way that it works now is that David Sullivan has taken a controlling interest. So he now owns 51% of the club. So West Ham is his. Um, David so, uh, Gold... Just so we know the distinction, he's Cossack hat. 
Yeah, he's a crosshair. Okay, <laughs> just so we know. Um, David Gold has uh, has a lower percentage. He's he's the second biggest shareholder, and then you've got the Americans who own ten percent, I think, for their investment. So that's the main. Um, Karen Brady is the chief executive. Right. So it's her job to run the club on a day to day basis. Um, and, and this has provoked a, a bit of bad feeling from West Ham fans because Karen Brady is is very successful in her own right. Mm. So hers is a part-time role. Okay. And she is paid £1.3 million a year for that, um, which is not excessive by Premier League standards. So you've got Ed Woodward at uh, Manchester United. He's on £3 million. There's others who are, who are on seven figures. Um, I think that there is a bit of... Uh, angst amongst the West Ham fan base is that she she splits her commitments which is yeah you've only got 24 hours in a day um so that's that's the downside I think the upside is that she is Karen Brady mm. and she is a renowned you know she's a very well-known figure and therefore she can bring in more money on the back of that because commercial partners want to be associated with her because of the apprentice and things of that nature now we've seen all three of them have an antsy fan base before at Birmingham when things didn't quite work out there and they were happy to walk away from there. If if things didn't pan out at West Ham, if they got fed up with constant moaning from West Ham fans, how difficult is it for them going to be to sell the club? If West Ham are to be relegated, they don't own their own stadium, would they be a prospect for... You know, overseas buyers or anybody here? They, they, they would be a prospect because they're in London. And it's ah, a, and it's oh, a sixty okay. and it's a sixty thousand capacity stadium, right. so you could see it um, from if you are a Asian, Middle Eastern, American investor, um, the prospect of a owning an Olympic stadium. B, you do have sixty thousand. They're applying for capacity to be increased to sixty two um, next season. So th- there is there is potential good things. I think the the biggest challenge is you said they don't own the stadium, so they would ideally want to renegotiate. Um, any new owners, um, what they're entitled to um, with with the London authorities. All right, let's drop down a few divisions because we are keen on this pod to make sure that we represent clubs at all levels. Um, we're going to go down to League Two. We'll be going further down. Uh, Forest Green, uh, who make a lot of noise for a small club, and rightly so. You know, they've got their 100% organic pitch. It's a, it's a vegan stadium. Uh, solar panels or they're, they're building a 5,000 seat all wooden stadium is all this financially viable and financially sound I mean they slightly cynically they, they seem to spend a lot of money on PR because we all know what they're doing what they're doing is, is absolutely laudable but they make sure that we find out about it and this is a small club in a, in a I mean Nailsworth's not much more than a, a village essentially so this revolution is, is I was going to say quietly going on it's not quietly but this revolution is going on is it is being economic, ecologically sustainable, economically sustainable? Well, oh, that's very, very good. It would have been if I'd got it out <laughs> first go. <yeah. laughs> um, no, they they lost uh, they lost a couple of million quid last Did year, they? Um, and which and to, a, to a team their size, I imagine, is a sizable hit, isn't it? That's right, and also their uh, their biggest source of income. Is is the owner's company? I think it's Ecotricity, and they're um, a subsidiary of Ecotricity, aren't they? That's right. Yes. Now Ecotricity effectively put in um, a couple of million quid themselves, as in terms of sponsorship, which is above the going rate. So uh, they are not a, a successful organisation from a financial perspective. 
lots of the other things which are laudable. I, I think the owner, um, I think he tries to, to encourage people to take a look at the big picture mm. and provided that ecotricity and making money overall, then he's quite happy to, to subsidise the football club. And that's the case with many owners in lower league football. They are reliant upon local benefactors, local business people to, to act in a similar benevolent way. The other thing that the shirts are half bamboo as well, which that must be itchy. It's yes. got to be. Remember the shirts we used to wear playing Sunday football? Oh, yes. Nipple yeah. Skirt, oh, so. yeah. It, 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 I, I'm fascinated by Forest Green. I've been researching the reason. And it's a story that, it's a great story in a way, but I'm, I just can't see it ever spread. I can't ever see any other football club ever taking it on, ever taking on their, their ecological responsibility. Because, again, it's a question for a different pod, but there's a big carbon footprint involved for every football club, isn't there? Uh, yes, there is. I mean, if you, but could we move in in three or four years' time to regionalisation of football to cut back on travel? Yeah, there, there are things that the football uh, the football industry can do, hmm. um, and it it would probably be you know people might say it's tokenism, especially if the elite clubs in the Premier League decide to set up their their European Super League well, and expect everybody to whiz across from Manchester to Munich on, on yeah, you know, or, or the World Club Super League, etc. Yeah. Um, so I think on, on a local basis, this, this can be achieved. Um, on, on a global basis, I think it's unlikely. I've always, I mean, we'll talk about this in a different pod because it's a long, I've always advocated a return to regional. It makes no sense to me, the League One or League Two. Third Division South, Third Division North makes so much more sense in terms of attracting bigger crowds because you'll have more local games, cutting down transport costs, which would ruin us for... You know, clubs like Carlisle having to travel to Plymouth and vice versa, it's, it's, it just makes no sense financially. But that's why we've got this pod, so maybe let's let's carry on with it. So even even further down, we're looking at four clubs below that. Now, we've talked about the, the financial cost of actually leaving the, the Football League before, and you've got some new data on Chesterfield and, and Hereford, which is slightly different scenarios. Hereford are a club that are not close to my heart because I don't believe in having clubs that are close to... to you know, your bombshell about Chelmsford City last week is still resonating... But Ali's uh, dad was a Methodist minister and his last circuit was Hereford and the next door neighbour, I used to go and see them them play. So I checked the results and I was very upset w- with what happened to them. But financially, what's happening to both Chesterfield and Hereford? Well, Chesterfield are a former League One club, League, not yeah, all that long not, ago. Absolutely. Um, and they've now dropped through the divisions and they are finding that to be very, very pricey indeed. Right. Because what people don't realise is that whilst there's a lot of resentment towards the Premier League from lower league clubs, they do put a lot of money in via what we call solidarity payments. Yep. Now, you lose those as soon as you drop down into the National League. You are given a parachute payment from the EFL in your first season. Chesterfield are now out of that. And they've all of a sudden found that they're up against other clubs that are full-time. Um, and they are losing money, um, you know, huge sums of money. We're talking hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, in, in the National League itself. So those fans who thought, well, we are going to return to the mm. romantic... You know, I can now bring a, I can now drink on the terraces. Yeah, I can now yeah, do this, yeah. that and the other. Actually, to, to run the club, it's just as difficult as before. Um, Hereford, I'm delighted that they have formed a Phoenix club. Mm. It, was, it was a tragedy that Hereford United, and I've got, uh, I've got experience of Hereford United when they were on the day that they were relegated, because oh, well, you, that was I've 1997. Got, I was in the town when it happened against Brighton. Yep, and, yeah, yeah, and I was. I was there. I was I was at the match. We and were it both was, in Hereford in that day in 1997. <laughs> it was written in the stars. Yeah, um, and that was the most emotional 90 minutes of my life. I bet. Um, and you couldn't 
even celebrate properly mm. because there were people who who were genuinely devastated um, and it was, it was the worst game of football of all time. It was Brighton or Hereford, wasn't it? That's it was, right. It was a one-off game and one of you went out of the league. And one of us is now in the Premier League. You know, yeah. And you, know, yeah, you, you yeah, toss a coin and yeah. it, it could have been us. So you got, I'm, I'm glad to see that they now have a, a Phoenix club set up. But even they have found it's, it's not easy to survive. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's a day-to-day existence. Well, because what happens as well, I mean, the Chesterfield scenario is interesting because the fans do have that season. They go, great, we'll bounce straight back up. We'll, we'll be the big club. But there's seven or eight of them down there now in the, in That's the, right. in, and, in the National League that were in League One, League Two clubs five or six years ago. So it's, it's like being relegated from the Premier League. The old days of bouncing straight back uh, are gone. And, and Hereford's interesting as well because the initial excitement and enthusiasm of the new Phoenix club, they were getting bigger crowds than Hereford were getting. But if there isn't immediate success, that that drops off quite quickly as well, doesn't it? Very much so. And it also falls initially, you've got lots and lots of people willing to help out, willing to offer their services yeah, and yeah. so on. And that quickly dries up and then it comes down to a hardcore of very dedicated and, and very admirable yeah. uh, people who are just trying to keep it going. Um, and I, you know, from a, from a fan's point of view, you just wish them all the best. Of course. Um, even further down, Worksop, who are the world's fourth oldest football club, uh, they're in danger of going bust. How far down are they in the pyramid and what, what's their problem? Um, they don't have anywhere to play. Um, that's, I, that's I, problem, I, I was even... contacted by the club chaplain, the Reverend Alex Shields, and he said, we need to raise £30,000. Right. Um, so they, they've been kicked around. They don't own the ground. And I think one of the things which we've really found during the course of this podcast is that property and football clubs, they need to be kept together. Otherwise, you are losing so much. Um, so they were effectively, they've been you know, roaming around various places in Nottinghamshire. Um, they're the world's fourth fourth club. You know, next year should be their 150th anniversary. That would be an amazing achievement. Yeah. Um, but will they be in existence? They need to raise £30,000 by the end of February. They're having bucket collections. They're doing this, that and the other. Um, will they get that money? Uh, yeah, you hope that they will. But is that masking a bigger problem in football? Is that clubs are simply living beyond their means, uh, especially when they don't own their stadia? Because it does mean that you are reliant upon people turning up once a fortnight, 25 times a year to, to bring the money in for the business. Uh, um- I'm, I'm guessing that we're talking about crowds of 500 at, at most. I, 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 would, would guess. I, I don't think they're even beginning those really? because okay. because they've had to move from ground to ground, and every time that happens, you lose. You lose part, you, of course, you yeah. do, of course. Well, it, this this is an even bizarrer story. But, um, Basingstoke have been evicted by the the club owner. They've evicted Basingstoke from their own ground, and he's dug up the pitch, despite the fact that he's legally not able to dig up the pitch. That's right. Um, Basingstoke have a, have a covenant uh, on the land, and, and the local council have said um, the covenant says um, this can only be used for sporting purposes. So Basingstoke fans have always thought that they have they have their historic legacy with them forevermore. Um, the the owner, a guy called Rafi Razak, um, he evicted the club a couple of years ago, and I think they've been playing in Winchester uh, as a result. So again. Fans aren't willing to travel to Winchester for home games. You you lose f- fans, you lose money. Um, so you evicted them because they owed him money? Presumably. Well, no, they, they evicted him because he, he had other ideas. 
um, as far as I think he, again it was one of these I'm I'm going to I'm going to build you a new stadium oh, uh, was yeah. one of those you know yeah, a bit yeah. like the the uh, the Simpsons monorail promise. <laughs> um, if you build it, they will come. That's yeah. right. And now, if you go onto eBay, you can buy bits of the. You can buy the toilets. You can no. buy the, the goalposts. You can buy everything. Um, now, Rafi Razek is saying, well, that's nothing to do with me, but that, that doesn't look too healthy. Um, and he has sent the diggers in to, to dig up the pitch. He claims it's for reseeding. Huh. Now, now I'm, I'm not the most green-fingered man in the world, but you don't need a JCB to, to reseed a football ground. Um, it would appear what he's trying to do is to make the place such a mess... Yeah. But the council turned around and said, well, there's no way we can play football, therefore we're going to release you from the Covenant and so on. It's very distasteful. Um, you know, Basingstoke's a nice little small town. It's entitled to its own football ground. It's entitled to its it, to apply to join, to play in the FA Cup in the, in the preliminary rounds like all other clubs yeah. have done. Again, it comes down, it just takes one person to destroy a football club. And we can't stress enough that for the thousand or so people who follow Basingstoke, it's as important to them as the 50 million that follow Man United. That's right. It, it's, it's, an, it's an emotional investment. It's a, it's a, 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 any threat to a football club is a threat to us all, as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's a story we need to keep our eyes on. Um, there's one last thing. As, again, you and Guy, our producer, hello, Guy, like to throw in a little story without telling me what it is to see how I react. Um, all I've got here is a very unusual season ticket offer. Yes, it, it's uh, it's our very good friends at Sheffield Wednesday, <laughs> the, the club the club that's sponsored by the taxi company that owns no taxis. Um, okay, what Sheffield Wednesday have done yeah. is they are offering a ten year season ticket to fans, which will cost you between four and a half grand and six thousand four hundred quid. So ten years, so. Oh, it's still six hundred and fifty quid. Yeah, yeah, it's not not that not cheap. cheap no. But this is this is the the weird thing. And this doesn't. If they get relegated, you don't get discount. You, no, you don't get relegated. But the ten years doesn't start until they get promoted to the Premier League. So what happens is that you give Sheffield Wednesday six between four and a half and six and a half grand now. Right. And you've got a ten year season ticket which starts in the Premier League. Or rather, the the ten year countdown starts when Sheffield Wednesday get to the Premier League. If they don't get to the Premier League next season, then you get your season ticket for free. If they don't get in the the Premier League for five seasons, you get five years in the Championship for free. As soon as they get into the Premier League, that ten year clock starts. So it's it's bizarre to put it mildly. We've we've discussed this before, Kieran. The reason why our dynamic works is because you are a top class accountant and I am not. But I, 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 can't, I can't see any, the, the, the donkey on a spinning wheel, it, like in Homer's head, is, is working really hard. I can't see any way that that works for them financially. I mean, it's, does they, it, it doesn't, even as a PR exercise, it doesn't make sense, does it? Um, it, it certainly is unusual. The, the only advantage to the club is that they get cash because you have to pay for, you have to pay for all of the four and a half grand or the six and a half grand now. So the club club will get a cash boost. How many fans are going to do it? I would say would be measured in in very low numbers. Yeah. Um, it does look to me like a PR stunt, which has perhaps backfired because the reaction on social media is a bit like you. This doesn't make sense. 
conceivably, you could have 20 years of free football yes. if Sheffield Wednesday don't go up. Yeah. And then it, it does mean that you've got the benefit of 10. But you might not be around to see all of that. Oh, yeah. if, if you're not around, you can. Tra- it does transfer to your dependents. Oh, you can? Yeah. yeah. Even if you don't make that in your will, it will just transfer to them? Yeah. Okay, so it's not a, if it's midsummer murders, that wouldn't be the motive for getting rid of somebody, <laughs> would it? So, but it, it adds to the narrative. Yeah, we've seen sponsored by a taxi company that have no taxis selling the ground to themselves. The the EFL are circling, you know, and you suspect there might be points to deductions. It, this all adds to the narrative that this is not a club that's being financially well run, doesn't it? Because this 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 seems like a desperate throw of the dice to get possibly twenty four thousand pound. It does seem very unusual behaviour. I don't know who's recommended it. Um, the, the owner, Mr. Uh, Mr. Chansiri, um, he he isn't from a football ground. He is from a tuna background. Uh, and I don't think those two industries necessarily are complementary. <laughs> I, I hesitate to say this, but the, the comedy gods would punish me for if I didn't. We're talking fish tuna. He's not a piano tuna. Got lucky, <laughs> no, he, he is. He's from a. He's, his family owned the biggest tuna canning fam, fa- factory in Thailand. Well, the Venkis owned the biggest fast chicken franchise in India, and that didn't help them run Blackburn, did it? No. I, I think there are similarities in in terms of the the, the governance of the clubs. Well, since it, well, just on the general note, then because this is something we've never really discussed, it it, it does seem amazing that people who are successful in one business automatically think that they can transfer those skills to a football club. But a football club is like no other business, is it? There's nothing, it seems to me, comparable out there to running a football business. Not not running a minicab company with no taxes, not running a, a fishing company, not running a, a, a steel foundry. There's nothing out there that prepares otherwise successful businessmen for running a football league club, is there? Is there? Um, th- there, are, there are some, I think, uh, but... Football, how do you measure football success? Well, nobody's going to get a trophy and and an open-top bus for having the uh, FFP uh, leading profit uh, numbers for the year. So we measure footballing success in an emotional way in terms Mm. of trophies or survival or or promotion. Financial success, as I think we've discussed in an earlier pod, is actually the opposite because in order to be successful in football, you need to spend money. And you need to gamble on players. And a lot of those gambles don't work. But when they do work, everybody loves you. When they don't work, as, as we've seen with the mm. likes of West Ham. West Ham, for example, spent an absolute fortune. The average, the average pay for a West Ham player last season went from 48 to 63 grand a week. Wow. And you talk to fans, they don't, they don't see that as success, do they? No, they don't. And also the other thing with non-football people don't understand the emotions, which is why you get... The case at Hull City when Dr. Alam, is it, who comes in, yep. decides that it, to make them more marketable, more commercial, he's going to change the name to Hull Tigers and then is baffled when the fans go, you're not doing this. Well, that's right, because new owners don't understand history and heritage and, and the you, know, you, you, you grow up with a club and, it, and as we said before, our clubs might be crap, but they're our clubs and we, and we, wouldn't, tra- we wouldn't give them a give them away for anything else. We wouldn't, wouldn't transfer our allegiances because you've had it. It's that lifelong ambition, that lifelong uh, relationship that you have with your, that club, regardless of the division. We should start a campaign before we end this pod. If, if, if you have to take a test to become a British citizen, if you have to take a test about our culture and heritage, then to be, become a football owner, you need to take a football 
heritage test and we'll set the questions sounds like a deal and then none of them will ever be able to buy a football club um thank you for listening to the price of football it's a dap dip production and as ever our producer would be uh, cross with me if i didn't say please leave the good reviews where you need to leave the good reviews for the old algorithms um we'll see you next monday for another question special the price of football. thank you very much bye-bye folks I stand for the fall. What's the best mattress for you? Well, if you're an egg or a kitten, check out the competition. But if you're a human person, put your body on a nectar mattress. As well as award-winning layers of comfort, you can sleep easy knowing you got incredible value. Mattresses start at just $499, and you get hundreds of dollars in accessories thrown in, as well as a 365-night home trial and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com.